Hello, besties. Hope everybody is well. Let's catch the fuck up. So, I am 23. It was my birthday last week. I had an amazing birthday. Um, what did I do? I got a cold and lost my voice temporarily, which is why I think it's still kind of deeper than it normally would be. I don't know if it's getting better. Often when I get a cold, I never actually realise when my voice has returned back to normal until I get a cold again and my voice just goes crazy and I sound like a man. Um... But yeah, what I do on my birthday, so on the 10th, which is the day before my birthday, my dad, my best friend and I went to Garlic and Shots in Soho, which has become quite the tradition for the day before my birthday now. Um, and that was really cool. Honestly, like I have the best dad and the best best friend in the fucking world. So that was just a lovely, lovely thing to do with them. And then on my actual birthday, I went to Soul Cycle, obviously, because who doesn't love a Soul Cycle birthday ride? Actually, there are probably a lot of people that don't, but I do. That's how I've spent every birthday since my 21st birthday. So three birthdays in a row now I've spent at Soul Cycle, and it was just so lovely. I just felt so loved, and I was surrounded by people that I've grown so close to recently, and like one of my favorite instructors, and it was just great. And then I was actually ridiculously hungover because I got home Oh no, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, 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 no. Yeah, from Garlic and Shots at like 4am and then went straight to Soul Cycle. It was a Soul Survivor, so it was an hour long class and it was, oh my god, I will never stop talking about how good that birthday ride was. Like definitely my favourite birthday ride. Um, And then I went home, had a nap, woke up, went to Soho, had a couple of drinks with the alfresco dining situation that's still going on then went to Soho House and got home at 5am, took a power nap, woke up at 6am and then went to Soul Cycle on the Sunday. Um, so yeah, that was my birthday weekend. I loved it. I spent it with people who I'm just so grateful for and honestly, I cried I think all three days of my birthday weekend. But honestly, if you don't cry on your birthday, you're a fucking loser. Anyway... Um, let's do a book update. So I read The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Phenomenal book. Definitely one of my favorite books I've ever read. Please, please, please read it. It's just so, so beautifully written and is so complex. And I love books and films that make you feel bad for people who haven't done the best things with their life because it kind of makes you realize that humans are just humans and we make mistakes and we're flawed and I love books that really explore that and in a way make you angry at the person that has made the mistakes but also makes you sympathize with them and I feel like that book does that perfectly. I also read um, Beach Read by Emily Henry, finished reading that, amazing book, it's just so cute. I want to read her other book, People You Meet on Vacation. I think the US and the UK have different names, different titles rather for the books, but you know, the one that everyone's talking about on TikTok, that's the one that I want to read next. Um, I read My Year of Rest and Relaxation. Very interesting book. I can understand why some people absolutely hate it. I also understand why some people love it. I am still kind of in the middle. I don't really have an opinion on it. I think it's extremely well written and it's a very interesting book. There just isn't a plot to it. So if you're looking for something to really dive into and like 
build an attachment to characters that's probably not the best book for you but I feel like it's also quite profound and you know I understand why people say you should read it when you're in your early 20s because it you know it's one of those books it kind of feels like a hug to anyone who is maybe not what people would consider normal if that makes sense I don't know um what other books did I read I read Olive by Emily Gannon wait is it Emily Gannon no Emma Gannon, sorry, my mistake, Olive by Emma Gannon, and personally, I don't think it's one of the best books I've ever read, but it's about a woman who doesn't want kids, and everyone around her wants kids, and it, like, leads to a bunch of different situations in her life, and miscommunications, and friendship breakups, and relationship breakups, and it's just really interesting as someone who doesn't want kids, and has never pictured themselves ever having kids, to read a book where you see a woman struggling through that, but not through, like, patriarchal pressure, but, like, the pressure amongst her own friendship groups and families and how she deals with that. And I just think it's so, so important to tell those stories because there are a lot of people that don't want kids and they are made to feel bad for it. And that's exactly what happens in this book. But it's like, it's like someone giving you a hug and saying, it's okay, like, you're not alone, I got you. And that's what that book felt like for me. Um... And I'm currently reading Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid, the author of The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, because I want to read every book that woman has ever written. I am being a bit slow whilst reading Malibu Rising because um, I started it the day before my birthday and obviously was just drunk for like three days straight. So reading wasn't at the top of my list. And then I had like a bunch of brand deals to film and stuff. So I've just been kind of busy. But I think the biggest thing that's changed since my last episode is that I'm no longer a student. I decided to leave my university. Um, It was kind of something that I was planning for a while and didn't really tell anyone. And I like set myself up to be in the position to not go back. So I had a exam that I like really didn't want to do. And I knew I could have reset it, like, in the term time, I knew that, and so I just didn't do it. And then, obviously, like, they emailed me about it, and they were like, what's going on? And I was like, honestly, I don't want to come back. Went through this whole process, and they were like, well, you can just reset it, like, the rest of your modules are fine. And then I, like, spoke to my parents about it, and we just came to the decision that dropping out was, like, the correct thing to do. Um, And so, yeah that's, that's where I'm at. I won't lie to you. I cried. I did cry. I felt like a massive failure. I felt like a disappointment. I felt like I let everybody down. Most importantly, I felt like I let myself down and I feel like I gave up on the dreams that younger me had. And then I just had to remind myself that I am not younger me anymore. Everything I do is a product of things that have happened in my life. And you know, 10 year old me wanting to be a lawyer didn't experience the remaining 13 years I've lived past that point where so many other opportunities have arisen or I've learned different things about myself or I've learned new skills. And so I'm terrified, truly I am terrified at where my life is about to take me. I feel like I've lost a massive security blanket, but I'm also excited because this is the first time in my life that I won't be able to use being a student as an excuse for not doing something. And I feel like I used to hide behind that so much. I used to hide behind being a student and I was like, oh, I can't apply for this job because I'm a student and I can't do this because I'm a student. And being a student was just such an easy way out. It was a cop out for me to do nothing really. And now I'm saying to myself, I've got six months to just be 
and I'm not going to put any pressure on myself for the remaining six months. And then I'm going to have to get my shit together. And I said that to my dad. I was like, if in seven months time, I still have no idea. I'm not necessarily saying a plan, but like no idea, then you can intervene and you can kick me out or, you know, do whatever. But right now I just really want to focus on myself and, and healing and becoming the best version of myself. And, you know, I'm going to go back to my doctor about my antidepressants because I'm having some issues with them. And I, I feel like this is a bigger opportunity than it is a loss for me. And that might not be the same for everybody that's dropped out of university. But just for me, I felt like I couldn't go back to being at uni. I, I couldn't be in the environment. I wasn't enjoying my course anymore. Just so many things happened within the last 18 months, which is, you know, I think a lot of people can say that in their lives, the pandemic completely changed things. But I just, I I was scared of how badly my mental health would just drop if I went back to uni. And up until this moment, I have never, ever put my mental health before my education. I've always jeopardized my sanity for education. And I'm not a kid anymore. And I'm I'm not a teenager. And it's not, you know, it's not something I can just look over anymore. I really had to take the step to be like, Mary, are you going to be okay? And the answer was no. And so I had to do what was best for me. And I'm still processing it. And I am. And I'll I'm still comparing myself to people my age and I know I shouldn't do that and I preach how you shouldn't do that, but I'm human and I compare myself and I'm just, I'm just feeling it right now. And I said this to my mom yesterday, actually, I was like, I just need some time to be sad about it. It's not, I'm not going to sit here wallowing forever. I just need some time to be sad about it. And so that's what I'm doing. I haven't booked any workout classes this week. This week literally has no structure for me whatsoever. I just need to exist in my room, collect my thoughts and do whatever I want to do. Anyways, with all that being said, that was quite a catch up, but this is another Q&A episode, besties. So I did ask for some questions on my TikTok and we're just going to jump right into it because honestly, I don't know how to do cool segues or anything like that. So First question that I have on here is how to maintain sanity and focus on improving yourself when you still live with your toxic family and can't afford to move out yet. Sorry, just started whilst reading that and I don't know why I laughed at the fact that it said maintain sanity because I feel like I'm the worst person to ask that to, but I will do my best to answer this. I think you have to find the things outside of your home that remind you that there is an out. I think it's very easy to stay at home and be surrounded by toxicity and think that that's the end of the world and like that's all there is. And for me, working out is a massive thing. If I ever feel like I can't be in my house, working out is exactly what I'll do. I'll book a soul cycle class, I'll go on a run, um, go and sit in a park if you have any near you. You don't have to do exercise if you don't want to. See a friend if you have any close by. I think the biggest thing that I've always told myself is that I will move out eventually and I don't know when that will be, but it's hope and it's something to hold on to. Um, improving yourself. I, I think you can do that outside of your own home. I mean, obviously you sleep there, you eat there, you spend a lot of time there, but you can go to places to improve yourself. Like being at one with nature is great for improving yourself. And so, yeah, I'd say just get out when you can. Um, take long walks. It's a tricky situation because I think you feel trapped if that's your environment, because it's the place that you have to keep coming back to. 
But with that being said, also remember that it's also a place that you can leave during the day. And I think that's probably what's best. Uh, next question is, I'd love if you could talk about living in London. I know it's a weird one, but it's my dream to live there and I'd like to know more. So I've lived in London my whole life. Um, thank God. Very grateful. And I love it here. I truly do. I feel like I've maybe exhausted myself of it, but I, I do love this city. I think that it's very diverse compared to other places in the world. Um, I feel like there are a lot of opportunities here, but I also think there are a lot of issues that don't really get spoken about because London is glamorized and like there is extreme poverty here and extreme racism and elitism and you know London is great and I understand why so many people move here because of the opportunities that are here and how beautiful this city is but there is also so much bad about this place and I think that's something to remember if you come to London it's not just the things you see in the films like London is more than just Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant. I remember when I was in Boston and I went to Tate. If you're from Boston and you're near a Tate, I'm jealous because I miss Tate so much. They do an amazing oat cortado. But yeah, I went in there and they were all like, oh my God, like you're just like the British people from the films. And I was like, what does that mean? I mean, they gave me a free coffee because they love my accent, but what does that mean? Like, you know, like, it's not one thing, but the thing that people refer to is the glamorized London in movies and Notting Hill and things like that. So just remember that there's good and bad to everywhere, despite how glamorized films make it look. Okay, the next question is how to deal with the overwhelming fear of growing up. Now, I, I think that I may have a different perspective on this because of my childhood. And I think that everyone has a different perspective on it to be honest because of how they were raised I feel like I had to grow up really fast and because of that getting older like the actual the actual significance of birthdays and like the age going up and the number going up has never really scared me besides turning 18 and 21 like the significant ones um getting older has never really scared me that much my thing is more running out of time um, so I'll try and like intertwine the two, but growing up is inevitable. And I think that the first thing you have to do is accept that that's inevitable, but it does come with a lot of pressure. You know, you turn 18 and suddenly it's like, you're an adult, you can buy alcohol, you can play the lot. wait, no, you can play the lottery at 16, but yeah, you can buy alcohol, you can buy cigarettes, you can go clubbing, you can go to uni, you can drive, you know, there are all these responsibilities that up until that point, your parents in a way protected you from. And also like, I don't want to say did for you because like not everybody's parents buy them alcohol, <laughs> quirky, but, um, you know, you were a child to everybody up until the age of 18 and then you turn 18 and suddenly everybody expects so much from you. I think what you have to do is remember that your expectations are the only ones that matter because when I turned 18, I gave myself so many expectations. I was like, you're an adult now, like get your shit together. No, I woke up on my 18th birthday with the exact same mentality I had the night before when I was 17. You don't just grow up mentally overnight. It's a process. We all grow at different rates when you, when you put that pressure on yourself, like what you expect other people to expect from you, I think that's when it gets really scary because you have to live up to a standard that everybody else has created and you haven't. 
enjoy growing up. Enjoy knowing that you are going further in your life. Whether or not you feel like you're progressing anywhere, that's besides the point. But you're growing and you're evolving and you're here to see another day. And I don't think growing up will ever not have a daunting feeling on who we are and like birthdays and everyone's reminding you like, oh, like a quarter life crisis or like halfway to a hundred or like all these things when you turn specific ages. But growing up is inevitable. And I think the more you try to fight the inevitable, the scarier it is. So just just ride the wave, baby. Go with the flow. You know, that is so corny, but that's what you've got to do. Next question is, how do you enjoy alone time without feeling lonely? Um, I think you have to feel lonely to know that you're not lonely when you're alone. And I've been lonely and it sucks. But when I go out and get coffee by myself or I go to a workout by myself or I go and sit in Hampstead Heath by myself. I know I'm not lonely because I know that if I was to text one of my best friends and say like, hey, I need you, they'd be there for me. And I think that's the first thing, realizing that you have a support system around you. And if you don't, that's when it's like, okay, I am lonely. And this is not me saying that there's anything wrong with being lonely. When I say I was lonely and it sucked, it was because I was so, so depressed and I just like didn't, have anybody to reach out to and I felt that it would never get better and I wish that I could have just said to you know lonely me it's okay you're gonna learn so much about yourself in this time period that's fine but now I can look back on that and say Mary you're not lonely anymore you're just alone and that's okay it's time to be with yourself and be with your thoughts and you can feel lonely when you're surrounded by people. You can't feel alone when you're surrounded by people. And I think that's probably the best distinction because if you're alone, you're actually alone. Like there's nobody else there. Whereas lonely is a feeling. And so like I used to be in school and I used to feel so lonely, but there was 500 other people around me all the time. And so I think if you, if you learn to separate the feeling and the physical concept of being alone and feeling lonely, that might make it a lot more easier to realize that when you're alone, you're not actually always lonely. I said those words way too many times and it's starting to sound like a foreign word in my head. So let's go on to the next question. Um, coping mechanisms slash self-care priorities for anxiety slash depression and how you personally view it. Okay, so my coping mechanisms, no surprise, working out and eating healthy. They help me so much. And I never want to sound like I'm pushing this on anyone else because like, you don't need to work out. You don't need to eat quote unquote healthy, like eat whatever the fuck you want to eat. I just have like really bad stomach issues. So I try to stick to a like healthier diet, but that doesn't mean that I don't eat fries and burgers and stuff. But those are the things that I find help me so much because they just change my whole body, um, like physically and mentally. And so I'd say when I'm anxious, the biggest thing that I do is run. Um, and I genuinely go on runs at any time of day when I feel a panic attack coming on. And I don't get panic attacks as frequently anymore. So you know, haven't gone on a nighttime run in a while, thank God. But that's often the way that I deal with it because I feel like I just need this physical release of energy. When I'm depressed, my favorite thing to do is take a soul cycle class. And I take Abby's soul cycle class in London, if you're in London, um, when I'm feeling particularly down because I just know she is like 
actual sunshine and makes my day despite whatever the hell I'm going through. Um, but also I try and write a lot of things down. I write letters to myself and in the moment, sometimes I can't see why that's beneficial. I'm just doing it because I need to get my feelings out. But sometimes it's good to read it when you're in that place again, or if you're in that place again, I don't want to say when, if you're ever in that place again, to look back on when you were last in that place and know that you survived it and know that the feelings that you had are valid, but they will pass. And I, that's also a big thing, you know, remembering that everything's temporary. Happiness is temporary. Sadness is temporary. Everything's temporary. Also, reach out to people. Um, I'm saying this to you guys and also to myself. Don't be afraid to reach out to people. There are people who are there for you. And there are people who are proud of you. And there are people who want to help you. And I think when you're anxious or depressed, it's really easy to keep yourself to yourself because you don't think that anybody else cares about you. And it's just the voice in your head. And it's so hard to not believe that voice. But I promise you, people care. And it actually, like, I get these moments in life where it's often over a glass of wine, but I'll be having a conversation with someone and I'm like, oh my God, this person actually cares about me. And I think the reason I get so shocked is because it comes from such a long time of me genuinely believing that I wasn't worth anybody caring about me. And like, it happened on my birthday. I, I cried, as I said, on my birthday. Um, and I was with a friend at Soho House and I don't even know what the time was. It was pretty late. So, you know, I'd had my couple of glasses of wine, a couple of picantes. And she just told me that she was proud of me. And I sobbed. I literally just sobbed in her arms because I just felt like no one was proud of me or no one cared about me. And then, you know, you have these conversations and it's like, oh my God, I'm so in my own head. And of course I'm in my own head, like I'm anxious and depressed, like that is literally what that is, I'm so trapped in my own head, but sometimes you do just need to go out and see the people that feel like home to you, like for me home is never a place, home is people and and you know Soul Cycle I guess is a place but it's more of a feeling like Soul Cycle's home to me, my best friends are home to me, find those people that feel like home to you and reach out to them because they they love you, like they want to help you, and I literally want to laugh at myself saying this because two years ago, I would not have believed myself saying this, but I promise you, you will be okay because you will find your people. But um, yeah, I think that would be a big self-care priority of mine. I always try and see my best friend when I'm going through something. Just know that she'll, she'll say some dumb shit that will make me laugh. Sophie, don't take offense to that if you're listening. Um, but yeah, working out, having good food seeing a friend, and sleeping. Honestly, sometimes sometimes people are like, oh, don't sleep your problems away, but sometimes you do. Sometimes life is exhausting, especially when you're depressed. Life can be really fucking exhausting, and it drains you, and you just need to sleep. So take care of yourself. Okay, someone asked, moving out for the first time, any advice? Truly, I spent most of my teen years longing for the day that I moved out, And then I finally did, and I cried my fucking eyes out. And I was so sad. Even though I knew that I couldn't be at home anymore, I just was so, so sad. And I think that you have to just let yourself feel that, because as much as you might want to move out, you can get very confused by the fact that you're actually really sad about moving out. Because 
like for me, I was moving out of my childhood bedroom. This is the house I've always lived in. This is, you know, where I grew up. I have so many memories here, good and bad, but the person I am today was built in this house. And so when I moved out, I was so, so scared. But you get over that. You truly do. And if you're talking about moving out to uni, do not come back home within the first month. Do not do it to yourself. I did that and I went home every single weekend after that. Like I spent so much fucking money on train tickets home from uni. It's a joke. Every single weekend I would come home. But um, my friends who didn't go home in the first month of uni literally never went back. And I was always so in awe of them because I was like, what the fuck? Like, how are you staying here? Um, But yeah, make sure that you figure out the area first. That's a massive thing. I wish I did that before I moved to uni. I wish I figured out the area first. Um, Find a couple of things that can bring you comfort. You know, if you're a coffee drinker, make sure you find some cool local coffee shops. Or if you love burritos, see if there's a burrito place nearby. Things that won't make it feel so foreign to you will really help you stay there a lot more. Um, But I'm probably not the best person to give advice to, to give advice, sorry, on moving out because I was bad at it and then I immediately moved back home. So, you know, take from me what you will. But the best advice I can give you is to try and accept that that's your new home as soon as you can and make it feel like a home as soon as you can. Like as soon as you move in, decorate it, put pictures up, you know, get some cool beddings, make it feel so homey that that becomes your new home rather than you thinking about the one that you used to have. Okay. Um, okay, someone said, I'm not a book reader, but I want to get into it. And I was wondering if you had five books you would recommend to someone like me. So, um, one of my favorite books ever written is Every Last Word by Tamara Island Stone. I love that book because it just deals with the topic of mental illness so well. But I also think it's one of those books that you just can't put down, even if you're not a reader. So I 100% recommend that. Beach Read by Emily Henry, which I mentioned earlier. Such, such an easy read. It's so cute. It's funny. It's quirky. It tugs on your heartstrings. Great book. It's not even that long. So that's a good one. Um, Let me think. Blood Orange, if we're going to like branch out into different genres here. It's a psychological thriller. It's not that long and you will not want to put that book down. I think that's probably the best thing when you want to get back into reading, you have to find books that are so enticing and like page turners. So yeah, Blood Orange. Also, I don't know how old this person is, but I'm going to say um, All the Bright Places. Love the book. If you've watched the show, then maybe don't read the book and instead read My Heart and Other Black Holes. The books aren't similar, but like, in terms of the way I felt reading them, they both have the same vibe, but they're both young adult novels. So yeah, but they're very easy reads and they're not long books at all. And then, oh, what Oh, and then I'd recommend um, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, because that is honestly, like it's a longer book, but it's so fucking good. 
and it will honestly make you want to read so much more. Like I got that book, read it, and then immediately bought like 15 new books because I was like, oh my God, yes, like I'm back in my reading era. However, I do get in big reading slumps. A lot of people have been telling me recently that I read very fast and I read a lot of books in a short period of time, which I do. But I also put myself into reading slumps, so I wouldn't recommend reading the way that I do. I like read, I'll read like six books in one week and then not read for like five days because I physically can't just read any more words. So yeah, don't do what I do. Read at your own pace. Don't feel any pressure and don't read just because everyone else is reading. Like there are books that I've seen so many people love that I absolutely despise. I'll, you know, I'll be controversial. I'll say it. We Were Liars. I fucking hate that book. Like, I actually despise that book. I read it when it first came out, and I will never forget. I read it on the coach to Birmingham, and it was awful. And my dad literally looked at me the whole way home, and he was like, you're not enjoying that book, are you? And I was like, how could you tell? And he was like, because it never takes you this long to read a book that short. And I was like, yeah, it's fucking awful. So don't just read books that people are hyping about, because honestly that might not be for you. Like, I definitely wouldn't recommend reading My Year of Rest and Relaxation if you're not somebody who reads frequently or often enough, because I don't think that's a good book to read to get back into reading. But the ones I recommended, in my personal humble opinion, I do think are good books to get back into reading. Okay, next up. Um, Generally feeling lost in your early 20s. God, I am the queen of that one. I am 23, so I'm like very early 20s. And a lot of my friends are a lot older than me. And so I felt like I was constantly comparing myself to them. And I was having conversations with loads of them recently. Like as I was turning 23, I was like, oh my God, like I'm not doing anything with my life and I'm petrified and I have no goals and I have no career and I have no vision and I have nothing and just spiraling. Like I obviously have goals, but you know, when you're in that mindset, you're like, I have nothing. And they were literally like, yeah, we don't have it figured out either. And I think that that's something you genuinely need to remind yourself of all the time. Nobody has their shit figured out. And when you turn 20, like I was saying earlier, when you turn 18, you feel so much pressure to have your shit together and to be an adult because it's like you've reached that age where by law you're an adult. But fuck it, like I'm still a kid. Like I'm literally still a kid. I'm 23, but I'm still a kid. In the grand scheme of things, if I don't like, you know, get some sort of terminal illness or get hit by a bus or whatever, my life expectancy is about 100, right? So why the fuck am I panicking now? Like I, I have so much of life left to live. And when I speak to people in their late 20s who are like, yeah, I don't have anything figured out. Or I read like biographies or... I hear about people who only figured out what they wanted to do when they were in like their 40s or their 50s. I'm like, I don't need to panic. Like, it is scary. It's really scary feeling like you don't know what to do, especially in your early 20s, because that's probably the first time in your life where everybody else your age is doing something completely different to you. Because up until that moment in time, we were all doing the same thing. Like, we were all going to school every single day because we had to. And then, you know, you get into your early 20s and everyone's graduating or doing apprenticeships or having kids or traveling the world and suddenly everyone's doing a different thing. That is terrifying. But you just have to be true to you. You just have to stick true to what you know is right for you. And if having a kid is not what you want to do at 20, don't. Graduating is not what you want to do at 20, don't. These things don't have time limits and time constraints. You can do them at any time in your life. When you feel lost in your 20s, remind yourself that you will probably feel lost in your 30s and your 40s and your 50s because life doesn't have a plan. And that might actually seem 
more scary to some people, but for me, it brings me comfort because I'm like, I'm never gonna figure life out because it's not mine to figure out. Like, this, there isn't one game that we're all playing that there's one winner. It's a fucking journey and we're all on different paths. And so you can feel lost because it's confusing and it's scary and there are a lot of pressures on people in their early 20s to get their shit together. But I promise you, you do not have to have your shit together at all. Okay, so someone said, how did you get your parents to take your depression and anxiety seriously so they don't just put it off as sad or dramatic or in a bad mood? And I'll be so honest with you, and I don't actually know if I've ever spoken about this on this podcast before, but for a really long time, my parents didn't believe that I was depressed. They didn't believe that I was depressed, and I think there are two reasons for that. One, a generational difference, and like, you know in their generation, mental illness wasn't as widely spoken about and accepted as it is in our generation. But also because, um, like, I've had other family members or friends of family go through things, which, you know, I am a big believer of never compare your pain, and I would never do that to myself. But, you know, they've seen people go through schizophrenia and and bipolar and like these these things that are often completely misunderstood and so become more scary to people who don't see them or understand them and i think when when they heard the way people were treating those people they didn't want that for me which i understand but you know on the other hand i see it with the eyes of someone in gen z and i'm like no we actually need to have these conversations and realize that the fear of the unknown is actually creating a stigma. And so, yeah, for a really long time, sorry, I hope that made sense. I don't think I explained that very well, but yeah, for a really long time, my parents didn't believe that I was depressed. And I remember, I remember uh, the beginning of the year, like March-ish, is that the beginning of the year? Who knows? Um, Like my best friend started antidepressants and she was telling me about it. And she was like, I really think you should, you should go on them. And she is literally my rock. Like I am so grateful for her because she just tells me shit as it needs to be said. And I really did need someone to just slap me in the face and say, Mary, you need to go on antidepressants. And so I went home and I was like, Hey guys, like I'm really depressed and I think we need to do something about it. And I've been in and out of therapy and counseling and stuff in my childhood. And I just, it didn't work for me. I didn't have the best counsellors and honestly, therapy won't work if you don't want to open up. Like if you don't want help, you're not gonna be helped. And that was the situation I was in. And so I guess we kind of just put it off. And then yeah, this year I was like, hey guys, I can't fucking do this anymore. And I remember my dad being like, I don't think you're depressed. And my mom was like, no, I think you're depressed, but you're, you're fine. And then, I don't know what fucking happened. I just reached breaking point. Like I I literally, I was in an awful, awful place. And my dad was literally saying this to me the other day. He was like, no, no, no. When I came into your room and you were just sobbing on the floor and I was asking you what was wrong and you couldn't even form sentences, all you could say was, don't know, don't know, don't know. That's when I knew that you needed help. Like this wasn't okay anymore. And I was genuinely scared about what was gonna happen. And that's so heartbreaking to hear. Like, that is honestly so sad to hear your own parents say that to you. And, you know, as much as that sucks, 
that was the moment for them. Like, I think I, I just put on a brave face for so long. Like, like I said before, I had to grow up really fast as a kid. And I think because of that, I trained myself to not show how badly I was suffering to my parents. Cause I was always like, well, they've got bigger shit to deal with. Like, I don't need to be a burden, but they're my fucking parents. Like I'm not a burden. And if your parents perceive you to be a burden, then they're doing their job wrong. And I think when I just sat down with myself and I was like, okay, Mary, you can't feel bad about how you're being seen because you need to feel these things and, and you're not doing okay. And so, yeah, my dad was the one who called my doctor and was like, hey, this is the situation. And the next day I was on antidepressants. But it took time. It took fucking years. And I do wish that I was on them before. I do wish that I had got this shit sorted sooner. Um, well, not sorted because it's not sorted. But, like, I wish I had started antidepressants a lot sooner because, you know, I could have avoided breaking point. But... I think if your parents won't take it seriously, then you have to take it seriously and you have to put a foot down and be like, I'm suffering so badly. And if you're not going to help me, then like we all lose. And like, that sounds, that sounds really dramatic and really dark and scary. But what I mean by that is like, I wasn't able to have a proper relationship with my parents because I was just so consumed by my depression. And so if they weren't going to help me, then they were going to lose me too, because I was just slowly losing myself to being depressed so much. And so, yeah, I think for a really long time, my parents did just put it off as me being in a bad mood, especially like when I was a teenager saying I was depressed. They were just kind of like, oh, yeah, you're a teenager. Like all teenagers are like this. And true. Yeah. Teenagers do go through really bad moods, but it's not meant to stick around until they're 22. So yeah, that's how, that's how my parents got on board with the whole antidepressant thing. But also surround yourself with friends, if you can, who normalize being on antidepressants and normalize talking about being depressed. Because I used to be in a friendship group where I would never, ever admit how I really felt. And I was like the happy friend. And everyone used to tell me that I was the happy friend. And I used to think, what the fuck? I literally hate myself and hate my life how are you seeing me as a happy friend? And I was just acting for everybody else. And now I have friends who are just so, so fucking just, oh, they're the best. Like, it's just so normal to speak about how you feel in those friendship groups. And I don't think that I would have been able to have the conversation I had with my parents if I wasn't having those conversations with my friends already. So yeah, I hope that helps. Okay, how to enjoy being single when all your friends are in relationships. Honestly, my friends being in relationships is truly the reason I'm not in a fucking relationship. Because, well, no, that's not true. That's <laughs> that's not true. That's not strictly true. But I've just seen everything that they've gone through and I'm like, yeah, I don't need to do that right now. And I think that when your friends are in relationships, it actually makes you enjoy being single a bit more. Like for me, seeing my friends have to be so like, not constrained in their relationships, but like not being able to just like flirt with everyone and, you know, like be free in a club to just be a whore or whatever is like my motivation to be single. Cause I'm not ready to be in a relationship yet. And I love going to the bar and like flirting with absolutely everyone and like having a good time and just being young and being in my twenties. And the idea of being in a relationship is cool. Like I guess, like, it's fine. 
but I'm also at this point in my life where I just want to explore myself a lot more. And so, you know, I have friends who are in relationships and they're like in that shit for life. Like they are in love, love. And I love that for them. And I love their relationships. Like my closest friends who are in relationships, I am genuinely the biggest fan of those relationships. And I am rooting for them all the time. But I also just think like, am I in a place where I could be in that situation? And no, I'm not. And I think that's fine. But I think being around those people reminds me of that and reminds me that being single is the best thing for me right now. Um, but yeah, honestly, like find single friends, like find single friends. If it's a big deal, like go and find single friends. Like my best friend in the whole entire world is also single, but is dating. And I'm just single as fuck. Um, and we're just like living our best life and it's great. But then I go and hang out with my friends who are in relationships and like we go out and we do live our best lives, but we just have a completely different experience like at the bar or like in a club or something like that. So yeah, if, if being around your friends who are in relationships is like having a bigger impact on you than you would like, maybe try and find some more single friends or just take it as a hit, like remind yourself of all the bad things they've told you about their relationship and then be like, yeah, don't need that one. Don't need that one. Um, okay. Similarly, the next question is, um, dating and the expectations that come with it. And if exploring sexuality might feel like you're late to the game. I think I just read that wrong, but you guys know what I mean. So dating and the expectations that come with it. I've never been a dater. Um, I don't really date. I say this a lot. I don't really date. I've had flings. I've had situationships. I just don't really date. And, um, that's just because I like the idea of authentic relationships. And I hate when people are like, oh my God, that's so old fashioned. Like we use dating apps and we meet people on Instagram and whatever now. Like that's absolutely cool. Like go you. I'm just someone who finds it really difficult to open up to strangers and open up to new people. And I like have this wall up that takes a really fucking long time to knock down. And so it's a lot easier for me to get myself into situationships with people that I'm already friends with or that I know or that I'm mutuals with. So I am not someone who can give dating advice because I don't have any. <laughs> but Exploring sexuality, I think, is extremely important. And I've been having this conversation so much recently. But I just like the idea that you just fall in love with whoever you fall in love with and you sleep with whoever you sleep with. Okay, besties. I think I'm going to have to do a part three to this Q&A because there are so many questions and I don't want this to be, like, exhaustingly long. I also don't want to edit for, like, 700 hours. Sorry for being selfish. Um, but... Yeah, I hope this helped. I hope you enjoyed. Love you all lots, besties, and I'll see you in the next episode.